Trevor. And we're the Boo Crew. Welcome to episode 83, where you are hanging out with entrepreneur, author, singer, actress, designer, pop culture icon, and queen of burlesque, Dina Von Tees. She talks about her first experience with the darker side of cinema, her obsession with true crime, her passion for collecting, and a possible brush with the paranormal. Take a peek behind the curtain of her Glaminatrix tour of Australia, New Zealand, and Europe if you're listening to this at time of release. Also, exclusive news regarding that tour and the Do Not Miss Dita Von T's New Year's Eve she is holding at the historic Orpheum Theater here in LA. Tickets for all this available now at Dita.net. We had an amazing time with her and we are sure you will too. So here we go. Hi, this is Dita Von T's and you are getting seduced into terror with the Boo Crew. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining the Boo Crew is one of the world's most influential and celebrated icons. Constantly looking forward with a reverence for the past, she has fearlessly bent pop culture and is always reinventing it with kindness, sincerity, and perhaps most importantly, a passion to awaken those elements in others. There is simply no one more revered in the world of fashion. She's a best-selling author of two books, an actress, singer, costume designer, her own clothing, makeup, and lingerie lines. She single-handedly revamped the art of burlesque and brought it back into the cultural zeitgeist. Her Glaminatrix tour hits Australia, New Zealand, November and December, Europe in April, and May, and a very special New Year's Eve show at LA's stunning historic Orpheum Theater. Ticket link to all these through Dita.net. I adore this quote about her from Sebastian Tellier, who describes her as a fantasy factory. When you think you finally pierced her mystery, she turns out to be more than ever a creature of dreams totally out of reach. We are honored to be here with Dita Von Tees. <laughs> oh, that was a very kind introduction. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for letting us hang. It's, I should uh, have you write my press release. We are a horror podcast, so I want to talk a bit about that, first of all. So you've always pushed boundaries and created new realities as this rogue tastemaker, going against the status quo and forging new paths. The horror community has really embraced you as well. Where do you think some of the parallels lie? Uh, I mean, maybe something to do with my fetish history. And then, of course, marrying Marilyn Manson might have had a little bit to do with that. I don't, I'm only guessing here. Um. Do you find that the two worlds intersect? I mean, especially in the, in the realm of burlesque, you see a lot recently like Rocky Horror Burlesque, American Horror Story Burlesque, Star Wars Burlesque, and a lot of the horror and sci-fi crossover with that. Yeah, I think what I love about burlesque and what I've always kind of done with burlesque too is thinking about like sexual cliches or think fantasies and like turning things like that into a striptease. And so I think like that's what you're having is a lot of people that are exploring all these like sort of fantasy worlds, whether it's is like the horror genre or like you were saying, the Star Wars striptease. I think that it's interesting that people are looking to that and kind of making light of it or not, or making sex of it. Right. Uh, <laughs> you know. Every um, single horror convention we've been at has had a burlesque show. Oh, yeah. I mean, burlesque has just become huge. I mean, when I first started doing it in the early 90s, I never would have thought it could become something like that. I mean, it was very niche even then. I remember being in this article by a magazine called The Face, which was like a British magazine that was around kind of like ID or something like that like paper magazine, they did a profile on all the burlesque dancers in the world <laughs> at that time. And there were like literally like 12 of us profile. Oh, wow. And that was everyone in the world. <laughs> you know, the people that were kind of like the young and upcoming. I mean, of course, there's been burlesque revivals like in the 60s, in the 70s, in the 80s, in the 90s, but not like nearly what it is now and not even what it was like in the 90s. I mean, it's just sort of become, I never could have expected it to turn into what it has. <laughs> Curious, going back to the horror genre for a second, what was your first experience growing up being exposed to the horror genre in cinema? 
it's interesting. This maybe isn't really a horror film, but I thought of it as something that made me go, whoa, The Elephant Man, which it's not a horror film. But to me, when I think about it, it's still to a little kid. Um, And also it's really like, I think that's sort of what made me kind of interested in like kind of darks. I mean, it was beautifully filmed and everything and really interesting, but still kind of a horror story. Like to me, my favorite horror stories are things that are real life that make you like, whoa, this is like so intense and terrifying. So I still like horror films that kind of have like their reality. I mean, I did watch some American Horror Story the first season, but oh, I, else. I, yeah, I was really into that one, but I didn't watch a lot after that. Again, I like films that kind of could be real, you know, so when they start getting into like aliens or sci-fi, I get lot, I get like, oh, I'm not interested anymore. I really like things that are kind of like that could have happened. Oh, the New Orleans American Horror Story was really interesting to me, too, because I just like all that stuff that kind of feels like it could have really happened or did really happen. I'm a obsessed with forensic files that's like my that's my like thing that I cannot stop I actually sometimes think every time in my car forensic files is on (laughs) on HLN oh yeah and I just can't stop because like that's the scariest stuff right there Sometimes I feel like I need to stop listening to it because I was like, you need to stop listening to that because it's just almost like bringing it into your life or something. Yeah, you know? it's, it's true. Just so, <laughs> I get really like a trip out. I was like, I should stop listening to this. <laughs> yeah, it's addicting. I used to watch Nancy Grace all the time when she was on HLN and those cases and like the Casey Anthony case. Like I followed that like crazy. True crime is what does it because you also are just like, why? How? Like getting into the psychological part of it. Right. Yeah. Um, And any kind of like, I watched that. Ted Bundy film. I like when they explore those reality things. And you're yeah, just yeah. like, well, who are these monsters and what makes them do this? I haven't seen Joker yet, but I'm sure that that's kind of a little bit of... It definitely does touch on that, right? It gets into the background of what could cause someone to become that kind of person. And when it's real, when those people are real that you're like talking about, you have not just this like feeling of like weird feelings about like wanting to know the details, that weird human thing that we have about like with wanting to know about the gore, but then this feeling of like your heart feeling for them or like your feelings for this person, you know, that this horrible thing happened to. And it's like a weird psychological mind melt that just makes me like it is more interesting to me than seeing a horror movie honestly is there a famous true crime case that um stands out in your mind that it's one of your favorites or uh disturbs you yeah exactly yeah i'm just see i'm like searching my brain like with like history like stuff that's really weird from the past that's like oh god like stuff that's so mysterious because you think like when you listen to something like forensic files and people how do you people get away with murder anymore i mean maybe they do but wow it's really hard but think about a time when you could just get away with it it's like if no one was there to see it there's like you could get away with murder yeah on forensic files they're still catching those people who thought they got away with it years, yeah years they'll ago. find like a fiber <laughs> yeah, like, of oh, like sorry. a carpet that was made yeah. only in texas and like they'll narrow <gasps> it down that. i love when they get people like and i love all this like dna testing getting people yes. i'm just so into that i mean the black dahlia stuff has always been fascinating and all that kind of like hollywood obviously like dark hollywood that era kind of obviously interests me people always try to talk to me about the black dahlia thing because I kind of like have connections to it somehow but you know and and somebody was like people keep getting turned onto it I notice like younger people getting like oh my god there's this whole new book about the Black Dahlia or there's a podcast about the Black Dahlia and do you know it happened right up the street I was like that didn't happen there no it didn't all this stuff it's our it's you know they read one thing and they think they know the mystery solved and it's not solved you know, so I think that one's interesting because no one can solve it still and we'll never know. And people still think they read one of these books or TV specials and they think they know. And you're like, no, that's already been discounted. That case goes back to the 40s, right? 40 something. Mm-hmm. Very brutal, though. I mean, the way she was murdered and, you know, so brutal. And, but, and, and so, yeah, I mean, and also just the fact that she was an actress and she was glamorous, but she was also really um According to sources, she was kind of a little bit of a lady of the night, you know, kind of there's some kind of interesting when you dig into all of those books and stories and you kind of just read whatever you can about here and put it all together in one thing. I think it's really interesting, but you can't just read one source because they're all wrong somehow. Yeah, I got to piece it together from everybody's truths. Yeah. (laughs) If you could solve one unsolved case, whether it's like Jack the Ripper, is there one case that you would just want to solve? 
involved so bad. Probably the Black Dahlia because it just seems like it goes around and around and people are so fascinated by it. And I just feel like that's probably the one that I'm like, what, what is it for you? I would say Jack the Ripper because in the late 1800s, he killed at least like by prostitutes in London. The victims' throats were always cut and he had this way of like mutilating the bodies that showed he had some like knowledge of human anatomy. And then he also took out one of the kidneys of one of his victims and sent it to the police, which to me is just fascinating. I want to go with the Zodiac. It's a good one. Oh, yeah. I, I didn't mean, find the Zodiac killer. No, I mean, there's right? still a mystery. Is he still alive? Is he possibly dead already? He must be in the 60s now, right? Or 70s maybe? Or, oh, yeah. or something like that? Just the fact that, you know, his last publication of the you know, the symbols and all that, they couldn't just decipher it. I mean, I'm just mm-hmm. like, that's kind of creepy. Imagine just being on your deathbed and knowing you got away with murder. That's crazy. Oh, right. Lots of them and just like, that's a trip. That's so crazy. What about that guy, though, that just got caught and he killed so many people? Like that, there was some guy that was just like through DNA. Oh, the Golden State murder? Yeah. Was it? yeah. And, and wasn't he caught because of a... A um, DNA test. A, yes, but it was a... Uh, oh my gosh, what's her name? She passed away. It was... Uh, who's the voice of Remy from um, Patton Oswalt? His wife. Oh. She wrote the book. And that's the book that she wrote was used to solve that case. No Interesting. Way. Yeah. But she passed away though. So after but she I passed thought, away. Okay. But it wasn't something like they found like a relative. Yes. There was DNA matched to someone that he raped and murdered or something. And they caught him. So I love, I love that. I love when they, they arrest these like guys that thought they got away with yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Like, right. One time I was like reading something about like, who is the C- the guy in Seattle that killed all the, those women? Is it the oh, Green it was, like, River? A, yeah. Green killer? River. I somehow I landed in Seattle and I had I was doing a show there and somebody that like was some off-duty police officer he actually gave me all those files to read and I spent like a whole a whole weekend no like reading all of it oh, and I was wow. so obsessed with it I was like whoa actually reading all the like evidence and stuff that so was there crazy. photos and things in there too no was it, it like- was only text this is a long long time ago but I was like was that the case where he kept coming back to the bodies after? Mm-hmm. And it's funny, there's some weird tie-in where whoever the FBI investigator was, uh, which I think is the guy who based the Netflix series on, he was told, I think, by Ted Bundy, who told him, go back to the scene of the bodies because the guy's going back. Was that Mindhunter? Yes. That uh, yeah, 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 that guy, yeah. Something to do with, like, it wasn't just a murder, but he was coming back to, like, have sex with the bodies. Oh, like, shit. after the fact. What about the Versace killer? Did you watch that series? No. No. Oh, my God. What's his name? Like, what's the actor that plays that? His acting is astonishing in it. But it's not just about the Versace murders, but all the people that that guy murdered. That's terrifying jeez Ooh, i gotta check i can't, I can't remember what it, the whole series is called i'm sorry i'm just like no i don't, know. Really, I don't know what that's called i'm just like <laughs> someone out there listening knows what i'm talking about <laughs> do you think you'd want to be a detective if you no, were no i don't have the patience for that no <laughs> that, that's a funny thing because it uh, seems like a tough job when yeah you, when you look at all these cases and all these tv shows and my day job i work with dna myself oh you do yeah so it's funny when people say like oh look at that and i'm like let me just tell you how you have to be very patient oh and it takes God, a while so Take some days and weeks, you know, but you watch mm-hmm. a TV show and it's like, no, in two hours they solve the case. And I'm like, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I always trip out on those people on forensic files that kind of like managed to solve their own case, you know, because the police didn't do enough. I think that's really, I, when you find like some lady is like a housewife, she's like, I just decided I was going to figure it out. And then they do. <laughs> I like that. One parallel that I think is inherent between the horror genre cinema and what you do is a sense of breaking the rules. You have shown us how to break the rules many, many times. And one of those times is with that book that you wrote in 2015, Your Beauty Mark, The Ultimate Guide to Eccentric Glamour, for people who want to embrace their differences by encouraging them to write their own story. Where did you get not only this passion, but this compassion from? First, let me say women or men, anyone. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I guess I kind of, I wrote a book before that that was called Burlesque and the Art of the Tease and Fetish and the Art of the Tease. It was sort of my first book in the early 2000s and I was already like an established burlesque star and this publisher, Judith Regan with HarperCollins gave, you know, I was kind of not really anybody. I mean, I was just like a girl who was on the cover of Playboy and this like new Betty Page 
girl, you know, <laughs> kind of mysterious, but she was like, I'm going to give you a book deal. And I was like, okay. And I got to make this big, like full color book where I told my story about why I like what I like or why I decided to pursue pinup and burlesque. And I wrote about how I didn't feel like I had any modern role models of sensuality and beauty and eroticism that I could relate to at all. You know, I'm like a dishwater blonde from a farming town in Michigan. And I just decided I was going to like give myself this big 40s, 50s Hollywood makeover and dye my hair black and wear red lipstick and dress like a pinup girl. And, you know, I told my story about why I did all that. When my book came out and people started reading it, I got all of this, like a huge influx of female following, you know, of other people that were like, thanks for saying it. You've given me permission to do the same. And that was sort of like where I first got to like express why, you know, tell my story. And it resonated with other people. And they said, I feel like that too. Some of them, you know, so it kind of started there. And I suddenly realized like this thing that I'm doing, which could be very like frivolous, could be considered frivolous. You know, when I first started, I was very much like a playboy model under the straight male gaze, you know, and it was a little thing I thought I was doing. And then and as time went on, I started realizing like if I was forthcoming about why and I could help other people maybe find themselves too the same way that I did because I was like really shy and it helped me counteract my shyness to be able to feel confident in the way I looked and walk tall. And then so when I wanted to write another book, I was like, okay, there can be a meaning or a mission statement or something behind what I'm doing that gives it longevity. Because feathers and rhinestones and striptease, like honestly, like that can get old quick, you know? And I was just sort of like, why don't I just tell people all my secrets and encourage them to do the same. And so I just, you know, I started off, it was supposed to be a small book. I took spent five years writing it. It's a beauty book for anyone who's never heard of it. Your Beauty Mark, the ultimate guide to eccentric glamour. And I just felt like I wanted to write the antidote to beauty books. And I started looking at all these like beauty, you know, health, like all these people that were writing these kinds of books. And I was like, this is all the same information. Everyone's telling me how to like look good without wearing too much makeup and don't look, you don't want to look overpainted. You don't, don't do this, don't do that. And I was like, I'm going to write the beauty book that tells you to do whatever you want. <laughs> and I'm also going to say, if you like blue eyeshadow, wear blue eyeshadow. And I kind of like just told stories about like my experiences with women making their mark on the world, whether other people approved of it or not. You know, I, I remember having these vivid memories of meeting these or seeing these ladies when I was a little kid. Maybe you remember this as they were coming extinct, these ladies, <laughs> like these bouffant haired ladies that still wear their makeup and hair the same way in the 50s or 60s. 60s, like blue eyeshadow, red lips, you know, like big hairdos. I used to love to go to Vegas to find those and watch those ladies. Mm -hmm. I just always like loved, I remember seeing like the Phil Donahue show and they were doing like a makeover thing and they had all these ladies with these that have been wearing their hair the same way for like 40 years or whatever. And they were like, we're going to give you a makeover. And they like washed them clean and blew their hair out straight. And these ladies looked like totally deflated and all their confidence was gone and everyone's like you look great now and everyone people were like yeah you look great and they were like uh gosh I don't feel great and it made me angry when I was little I mean because Phil Donahue show if for anyone that's under 30, 40. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Probably is like, well, I've never heard of that. But he was like the Oprah Winfrey and everybody watched the Phil Donahue show, you know, so I grew up with that. So, I mean, I must have been like eight or nine years old seeing that and it always had an imprint on me. And I was like, why don't they leave those ladies alone? They look pretty with their blue eyeshadow and their red lipstick. I just thought about all a whole bunch of things like that and wanted to put it all in a book and talk about like what, how we don't have to listen to modern beauty rules and standards anymore. Do you recall the moment that you broke through the shyness? Was it a, a piece of advice from someone or something you recall? Specifically? Um, I feel like it was very gradual in my life. Like I feel like first I kind of when I, I was a club kid in the early 90s and hanging out with like club kids and drag queens and all that and that kind of helped me find my confidence because I found like other people like me and I felt like I could find confidence by like dressing up in crazy outfits and going to parties and, but it was gradual. It's like everything that I did as I became like more known or I had more responsibilities, you know, having doing interviews or being on a TV show or one of the big moments for me was in the early 2000s when I was the Mac Viva Glam spokesperson. I had to give speeches all over the world oh, wow. like about for the <laughs> Mac AIDS Fund. And I was like, at first, I was sort of like, I could never imagine myself doing that. 
And I was like, you are going to do this and you're going to have fun doing it and you're going to make mistakes. And I'd, you know, get up there and I'd make a mistake and then I'd go, hey, um, can I start over? <laughs> and people would <laughs> laugh and they'd li- then they'd like you the more if you make a mistake. And it made me realize like imperfection is endearing to people and being myself is endearing. And like, I realized that a long time ago, like, don't, you know, I never go out on stage going like, I'm going to be sexy and great and perfect and amazing. I go out on stage and let people see Heather Sweet from the farming town in Michigan dripping in rhinestones and feathers and having the time of her life. You know, I don't want to act like I'm this amazing, fancy lady. I'm from, you know, I'm still me. I just had fun with the look, the exterior. So yeah, I feel like just slowly but surely I found my, my voice. And also I feel like advancing in age helps you get over shyness too where you were like don't suffer fools any longer you know <laughs> you know you kind of like learn to like say like what's not okay with you and what is you know in that time in the early 90s when you were really swimming upstream in revisiting burlesque and, and bringing it back into culture how did you ward off the naysayers what kept you going amidst everybody saying oh it's not gonna work yeah. or you know uh, i just ignored people and i decided not to read the comments you know like uh, the first thing that happened was like message boards happened right and i always remember the only the first time i was ever really like subject to like actually seeing people saying terrible things about me and wishing me dead was when I was married to Marilyn Manson or engaged. You know, I was suddenly like, wow, all I was doing was just doing my thing. And suddenly I'm like the subject of all this like crazy conversation and people talking about like, you know, saying the worst things they could about me. And I, and then one day I actually, Manson was the one that was like, Hey, you don't read it and it doesn't even exist. And I was like, yeah. So then I never read it again. And even now it's like, I just don't read the comments like I'm sorry oh, I read I read some of them like but I have my own app and I like that being my little club but and I you know I'm obviously active on social media but um I just try to like it's like water off a duck's back when I see stuff now because I just sort of like I remember one time this is like the thing that made me like okay whatever they say about you don't forget this one thing and I remember this this was like a defining moment I was like oh yeah don't forget that when Elizabeth Taylor died there was like all this like articles about her that showed pictures of her life and her career and everything and I remember reading like there was a news article I was reading it looking at all the great pictures of her and they talked about all of her accomplishments and her whole life and in the comment section people were like she was not a good actress anyway or she wasn't even that pretty you know just like some people that were just ripping her and I was sort of like whoa if they can say Elizabeth Taylor was not attractive and was ugly or was a bad actress I was like okay this is what you're dealing with. You're dealing with people that can actually say that about one of these legendary ladies who was, well, you know, internet trolls that yeah. just want I mean, to pick I, a fight for no reason. Yeah, you know I mean? yeah, totally. It's and it's now even like flared up even worse than ever as everyone's like a vigilante about their cause and they they are trying to change the world by typing a few letters you know they're like i am an activist like you're not an activist you're not offended and you're not hurt you're not an activist actually you could be if you wanted to be right yeah if you got off your twitter definitely could be but yeah you need a little less energy there and put it actually into something real in real life i think it's really cool that back in august this year you started doing the weekend of glamour yeah that was kind of related to the book where i sort of you know i just thought like how oh, wouldn't it be great to get people in a room and actually connect instead of just like yeah I can do a beauty tutorial on my app and yes I can write the book and you know you can make YouTube channel but I thought you know there's just really nothing better than connecting with people face to face so I had this idea about doing like a weekender and at first I wanted to do like really big version where I could have like you know, a thousand people in the room all learning from the best hair and makeup people and like get, you know, we could all talk and have a And I was like, you know what, let's do this really like a boutique style. You know, I just opened it up to like, I think it was like... 250 people and it was really nice and I did you know I had like some of my favorite people in different areas of expertise like Dirty Martini teaching a burlesque class and I took her you know I got on the floor with everybody else and took Dirty Martini's class and I you know I, I loved it it was a lot of fun and I just thought like oh this is a great another thing that I'd love to expand on the idea and like tour with it and I just I'm always thinking of like what else do I want to do what can I do that isn't just taking off my clothes on stage you know one of the other things that i can do i mean don't get me wrong i love
love doing that. But I think more about like producing shows, supporting other performers of different kinds and other ways to expand on what I've built my whole career on. One of the ways that you've been doing that is through music. Oh, yeah. Right? <laughs> sort of. You know, I'm the reluctant <laughs> singer for sure. Well, that <laughs> album you released with Sebastian Tellier that we uh, mentioned at the beginning is amazing. Oh, thank you. I mean... It's a big hit in Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> That's a big country. And France. Yeah. And France, yeah. Sous les éclairs de tes orages, je disparaissais pour la peau. How did that work out? Was that something you approached him or did he no approach you way. with some well, ideas or how did that work? What happened was I approached him. Well, before that, I had another band that I really liked. Um, an electronic band called Monarchy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and they were like, I saw them at Coachella one year and I was like, who is this? They're the best thing at Coachella and they were amazing. And I actually like sent a tweet and I was like, favorite thing at Coachella, Monarchy set. And they responded to me and then I started talking to Andrew from Monarchy, Andrew Armstrong. And I started talking with him and then I was living between LA and Paris at the time I was in Paris and he's like, hey, do you want to meet? And we, it was funny because we were having all these like conversations and I didn't know if he was like gay or straight or whether he was hitting on me or anything. <laughs> I had no idea. And then he's like, I'm going to be in Paris. He was living in London. I had some friends who are also huge monarchy fans like staying with me, all of us hanging out in Paris during the holidays. And he came over and we met him and we became like instant friends. And we just like got along famously. And next thing you know, he was like, hey, look, do you want to record a song? And I was like, I don't sing. And he's like, no, no, it's going to be great. And so he's had me record a few songs. And we actually actually have another song coming out that's um i think being released in like the next two weeks it's called the glaminatrix theme oh awesome and it's one of the songs from my show my show so that was like the first thing and then i did a song with diane word they're not very popular right now because they did some shady stuff i don't know don't claim to be right now but i was just like oh it was like that relation was kind of over after i did the song anyway but so they asked me to do sing the hook on a song they had yeah that was the one yeah I think they did something really terrible recently. Like, I don't know the whole story. So anyway, they're wild. Um, and then Sebastian Tellier, I've just been a huge fan of for a very long time. And I, again, another artist I was just obsessed with. And when I was doing the Crazy Horse, like, gosh, like 10 years ago, you know, we always sit there and go, who should we, what celebrities in, in Paris should we invite? And I was like, can we invite Sebastian Tellier? And they were like, yeah. I mean, this is when he had like Ritternel and all these like amazing songs. They're like, yeah, we'll invite him. And I met him backstage and we just said hello and he didn't really seem to speak very good English. And I just was really happy to meet him. I didn't think anything of it. And then I get an email out of the blue. It was like from his record label, like maybe like three years later. And they're like, oh, Sebastian Tellier wrote a whole record for you and what? he wants you to sing on it and I was like what do you mean and I was like I don't sing you know and they're like well he says that it wouldn't work with a singer this is like he wrote it just for you and nobody else can sing it and he's been writing it since he saw you do this show that's so cool so I kind of like just gave him all the disclaimers and said you know I'm not a singer but and like I said he, I but he gave me like you know it was really hard for me because I don't have confidence as a singer you know that's not what I do it was really fun. I mean, we recorded some here and some there. And I a lot of the album is in French. And so I have a little bit of experience with speaking French, but I'm not like amazing. I speak French like a, you know, a five-year-old or something. So we do like, he'd sing a line and then I'd mimic it and read it all. So it was a really fun thing to do. But it was cool. It comes across as that like French pop, like yes. Serge Gainsbourg yes. kind of project, yeah, you know, yeah. it's cool. Did you find it difficult to find your singing voice? I mean, it was just sort of funny because there were all these serious musicians that he works with, like the guys from Phoenix and all these like people that work with like Blood Orange and all these bands that I like. And I was sort of like, just me not having, it. I love also putting myself in a position of no confidence because when you're with people that want to give you confidence it feels good and when you're in a position where you have to say I don't know what I'm doing but I'm listening if you just can help me you know it's better than just fake it till you make it you know I think I just went into it like I don't know what I'm doing you guys but whatever you tell me I'm going to do my best and it's fun to be out of your comfort zone Intense explodes on the million de perles nacrées. 
the singing on that monarchy track was a disintegration mm-hmm. so cool oh, that's nice yeah, thank you so i don't awesome. know if the singing is so cool but it was fun it's you know? cool it's like dark it's dark <laughs> it's got know. like the cool melodic <laughs> switch you. it's really really cool yeah no seriously i love it you are a collector yes things. we are here at my house in case people don't know um, it's, it's yeah, stunning I have a lot of things yeah how important <laughs> is it to you to nurture and massage your creative spirit with the things that you are passionate about I've always collected vintage things I grew up in an old house and my mother loved antiques and her best friend's family owned an antique store so it's kind of just something that's been in me for as long as I can remember. And yeah, and I first started wearing vintage clothes in high school because I couldn't afford nice clothes. I think my family didn't, I didn't have like the cool sneakers or the cool Lee jeans were very popular. (laughs) I never had like anything like that. So that's why I started buying like 50s dresses and wearing them. And, you know, that was before vintage was very popular. So at the time, were you like the only one doing it? Or you had friends doing it? I had like a couple couple friends. friends. Yeah. I mean, we weren't dressing like full blown, like 40s girls or anything, but we were very much like wearing, you know, little pieces, buying like a 50s purse and using that and like, you know, piecing things together. I just like scour vintage stores looking for a way to get like a designer look for nothing. So, but it's like, again, that's another thing that's become like this huge thing it's like vintage clothing and it's such a cachet and so valuable now and it's really funny to see that turn into such a thing do you have a favorite antique store that you like to shop at well my favorite thing to do is when i'm i was actually just bothering my tour manager i was like do we have u.s tour dates yet because (laughs) my favorite thing in the world is the u.s like i love to get to a new city like place like Pittsburgh or you know somewhere like that and like where's the biggest antique mall and this you know like where are those big warehouses and that's my thing is like buying things and putting it on my semi truck because we travel with the semi truck oh, and so great. I always have like all this stuff that I've collected on the on the road it's so much fun because nice. I like the bargain hunt you know I mean it's harder now ever since like eBay and online shopping it's hard to get a bargain but I still try have you been to King Richard's antiques no but I keep how far is from here it's not like, that it's far not, it's like you I'm, get there in under an hour i'm like on their mailing 40 list minutes? Yeah. it's so it's awesome i'm on their mailing list i get their mailer and every time i get it i go i need to go there and then if i don't know how many hundreds of thousands of square feet no it's not really hundred thousand square feet <laughs> yeah. is it it's, 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 it's massive huge. yeah it's, it's massive yeah i think it's three floors it's very haunted Ooh. yeah it's a, a historic building it's like an old orange packing plant or something uh-huh. i believe yeah someone actually saw a ghost the last time we were there and they were freaking out and i was with our kids and yeah i heard them lose their minds i was like okay kids we're gonna go over this way now <laughs> but i was kind of like oh. pointing my ear back like really oh, what's going on i've yeah. never seen a ghost so no do you guys have any experience because like i feel like some people do and some people don't at all i'll ask you though have you ever brought home an item an antique something you collected you bought on the road somewhere that you just could not keep because maybe was haunted well, or I had maybe... one thing one experience where I was like I suddenly and this is like 15 years ago or more I kept waking up in the middle of the night feeling like somebody was staring at me while I was sleeping and I kept like going why is this happening and every time I was like somebody's staring at me enough that I was like what am I going to do and I was asking like a few different people and I went to like three different kind of like psychic people and they were all said the same thing they're like oh there's something you brought into your house that the per- that is like belong to someone that this ghost is obsessed with he doesn't understand that you're not that person one of the um, psychics was like it's a hat and he, she was right I brought this hat into my house this is I still have it no way. I was like it's the best hat I have it's been in museums I've like it's Can a do show and tell <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> 
I could, yes, yeah, I will. Um, it's like a men's style fedora from the 1940s, and it has a not a real parrot, but like it looks like a parrot. It's like a with the feathers that come underneath the chin. It's really special. It's been in like the V&A Museum and everything in a big hat exhibit. That hat was like, I think, the thing. And I remember just like, I'm taking it with a grain of salt, right? But I was like, I'll do it. And so I did the whole saging thing and asking the ghost that I'm telling that ghost that I am not that person. I'm not that woman, you know? But yeah, I've never had any problems with it ever since. But that was really my only time. And I mean, look around like this is like pretty much everything in here has belonged to someone who's no longer alive. Right. Wow. <laughs> That's impressive. I was going to message, mention what where you had the weekend of glamour as a Paramore Mansion, right? Mm-hmm. Super haunted place. Apparently it's haunted. I didn't see anything there either, but I have like a friend that lived there for two years and said, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think a lot of bands have recorded there. Have, I think they've run out of their screaming. I think My Chemical Romance had a <laughs> yeah. story about yep. like they wrote a song yep. because Gerard Way started to get night terrors when he was there recording. Oh the bathtubs would randomly fill with water oh. and yeah, they were for well, Papa Roach too. I have another friend that was just staying there for a while and she said nothing. And she, but she's more of like, someone, oh, I talked to the ghosts. I'm fine with everybody. You know? right. it just on she's like, oh no, I'm fine. Yeah. You've got a couple of really cool stuff going on right now in terms of merchandise people can get. You've got a partnership with Wheels and Doll Baby, the mm-hmm. Seven Wonders. Yeah. What you tell me about that? So this is like a little cardigan sweater collaboration I've had. I think we have like 30 some colors, but we started at Wheels and Doll Baby is kind of this cool pinup girl rock and roll brand that's been around for a long time in Australia and I met Melanie the owner of it she's married to the guitarist I think he's a guitarist he's one of the divinals if you oh, remember cool. divinals. Yeah. and he's I so they're such one of my favorite couples in the world both of them we started doing this collaboration where we did this little cardigan sweater and we started with one color and next thing you know we were doing I don't even know how many colors now but I just keep trying to come up with new ideas new colors and people collect them and stack them up it's a fun project and I never would have again like the most like successful things like that come from just something that's fun or maybe like unusual something that goes against the norm I mean it's a sweater and just all these different colors and color combinations and people love to collect them and then heretic perfume mm-hmm. you've got Scandalwood Scandalwood yes yeah. it's a cool name yeah, it is yeah. Awesome. well there's the striptease if you want to know what it smells like here's the companion striptease candle She's oh a candle but like, oh, I like that. when you light it it has my body on oh, it and then when you light it as fantastic. it heats up the clothes come off and I'm doing, I'm doing a whole line of like striptease candles with other people like Violet Chachki and Gia Genevieve and all these other different types of people and so they'll all be able to perform a striptease right in front of your very eyes while scenting the room. That's another thing. I used to have all these like, you know, the striptease pen that you turn yes. upside down <laughs> that you see from the 50s. I used to make those for years and years and then we were like, what if we do that with a candle? That's such a great idea. I don't think it's ever been done before. No, it's the world's first striptease candle. <laughs> <for sure. laughs> It smells so good. Yeah, it smells awesome. Speaking of strip teases, you did something I've never seen before. It was groundbreaking. There was a, there was a <laughs> no show dear. you did in <laughs> Paris, I believe. It was a project called Undress to Kill. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it was like all like digital map projection mm-hmm. on you. Yeah, it was actually another one of those moments where I was like, this is so uncomfortable. Because when I do a show, I'm always wearing like G-string and pasties. And it's like, I'm always pretty dressed. But this number at the Crazy Horse, which the Crazy Horse, the girls are fully nude but it's all about the lighting hiding you know it's like if you've never heard of the crazy horse it's the most elegant it's not a strip club it's and then when you say nude show it's called they call it the art of the nude it's kind of hard to explain but you know it's a place that everyone from salvador dali to may west to john f kennedy every single like dignitary since the 50s went there. It's a national treasure, this place. But it's a nude cabaret. So if you've never, anytime you go to Paris, I always tell people, it's like, that's where you you have to go. It's phenomenal. So I was doing this, creating a new number there. And um, with my friend Ali Madavi, every time I've gone, he's kind of like, he's this amazing photographer and director. And he comes in as like a guest director and we work on these numbers together. So he had this idea that I would just be completely nude, which is very uncomfortable for me in a way because I'm not really that person, you know, I always have my safety net of my like things that I don't, you know, so it's the clothes are all body mapping and all done with light projections. And the interesting thing was I couldn't ever understand what it was really doing because I couldn't see it. That's happening. right. And I just had all these like 
tech people watching and I'm na- buck naked every day in rehearsals, just like, oh my God, it's so uncomfortable, you know, <laughs> not wearing feathers and rhinestones, just wearing light. But when I finally saw a video, there's a video of it. I think it's on like nowness.com or something, but it's called Unjust to Kill. And you can see what it looks like. And it's really like, incredible technology and I actually they have the number up they have another girl doing the number in my place it's pretty cool I love this idea of a striptease that's just made of light and the dresses unzip and everything and the dresses morph and I always think though there's going to be a lot, lot more you can do with that technology and I look forward to playing with that more it's that's, really amazing that's awesome we'll talk a bit about the Glaminatrix tour so Australia mm-hmm. New Zealand and Europe this is my third full-length review I started with a show called strip strip hooray and then did the Art of the Tease. Actually, this is my fourth full-length review, actually. Then I did one called Dita Von Tease and the Copper Coop. So this is like the new one. And I just had this idea about, I was building all these new acts and I was like, it's like very powerful and like dominant and womanly. And I was like, what's the word? It's not, I'm not a dominatrix. That's not really my thing to say it's a dominatrix. It's like, it's a glaminatrix. So it came up with that term. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And um the whole show is really about that. And my shows, you know, it's not just like a typical burlesque show. I have just as many men in the show as women. And I've always been casting with diversity and inclusion in mind. So that's always been important to me since before it became a buzzword. So yeah, it's a lot of people, if they don't know what a burlesque show is, it's they're shocked. And when they see you and they're like, I didn't know this existed, you know, I was doing the London Palladium on my last tour and Tim Burton came and he, I remember, I'll never forget. And I was like, why don't I have this on tape and barreling around the corner? He's like, this was the most, I've never seen anything like like this he's like not just the show the show's amazing he's like 2,000 people mostly women all with red lipstick on and their vintage outfits and they're just like screaming for you like it's a rock concert and I was like I I go oh it's so like what you know it's but it is like a scene and it's not even about me it's just about like making this place that I'm I'm proud of that like I'm proud of the show as a whole and how it brings all these people together that it really when people come to the show I love people that have never heard of burlesque and they come to the show and they're like what is going on here you know awesome like a whole community right yeah it's like a community but it's like and most of the guys that are there have no idea what they're seeing you know like they're usually there because their wife or girl friend wanted to come and then we have of course a big lgbtq following it's really fun i just wish sometimes i wish i could like the show could be going on and i could be in disguise like out in the audience sure, like because the people yeah, the audience in. is like really gotta work that in. exciting yeah, yeah. we're gonna yeah. figure that out take yeah a break and just go in the audience and watch yeah i gotta find a way hologram yeah oh, there, there, there you go, go. Yeah, yeah what are the mechanics of bringing a show that big like to an international stage oh, god well it starts with them um, shipping a big I have like a semi-truck container and we ship it by boat about a month and a half before because I bring like my own curtains my own truss my own lighting you know I just bought like a new curtain with all these fancy motors and (laughs) I'm really excited about it I haven't even seen it yet but I'm going to get to Australia and get to play with this cool like motorized curtain that I'm really excited about it's a big ordeal people don't really realize and then they see it and they go wow I had no idea it was like this and then how many people on the crew Um, on the performance level of it performance i think we have like nine and then just as many crew if not a few more that's crazy and then how early do you go down before performances start usually oh my gosh when i land in australia this time i'll be there for like three solid days before the show even starts but i usually get in on a normal day i like to get there at like one o'clock at the latest and then you know the show goes on at usually eight I like to spend the whole day because, you know, there's just so many interruptions. Like you got to do the social media. You got to like, you know, answer text messages. Got to listen to music and be in a good mood. You got to drink some coffee. There you go. You got to stretch. You got to talk to all your cast and crew. Better than being Mm -hmm. like stressed and running around. See if I can make it. Oh my gosh, I got to do this and this. Uh." Yeah. People are always like, oh, can't you just do some interviews all day and then go do the show? It's like, no, this is what I do. I got to get up at like 11 o'clock and I have my breakfast and I go start showbiz and then I'm done at like 1 30 in the morning so <laughs> tickets are on sale for your big New Year's Eve gala here in LA at the Orpheum yeah a few years ago I was basically like 
how come there's nothing glamorous to do on New Year's Eve? Not really, you know, like every year it's like, I mean, being famous for bathing in a giant champagne glass, I <laughs> usually get booked on New Year's Eve, but right. I was sort of like, I really just want to stay home for the holidays sometimes, you know, I don't want to fly to Switzerland, you know, I'd really like to just stay home and have like Christmas. And I thought, well, what if we did that mythic New Year's Eve? I always dream about these old, fa- like an, a 50s Christmas and a 40s New Year's. And, a, you know, I love that. Like I always like when you think about it, that's where the magic is. Maybe it's from growing up watching all the, these like old movies with these scenes and you're like, ah, oh, it's so beautiful. So I decided I was just going to put on my own show on New Year's Eve. I was like, why don't I do this and make a space? And it's, uh, this is my third year doing it. And we're at the Orpheum Theater, which is like a beautiful, historic, gilded vaudeville house, you know, because we have a lot of beautiful theaters in, in Los Angeles, but a lot of them are movie palaces. They are not like vaudeville theaters or they weren't meant for showbiz, but the Orpheum is really great because it's the Orpheum and the Orpheum was, there's Orpheums all over the country and they were, you know, artists on vaudeville and burlesque would do the Orpheum circuit. Oh, cool. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So they're built for showbiz. So when you go there and even in the cheap seats that are like forty nine fifty is the cheapest seats, you can see the stage perfectly and you're in this room. And I was just like, you know what? Let's make a place where it's like 50 bucks and you can have two hours of show and people get dressed to the nines and their tuxedos and their vintage dresses or their prom dress, whatever. People come in drag, people come in bondage. I mean, it's, it's like That's a scene. Awesome. It's a scene and it's become this thing that people really like look forward to like figuring out what they're going to wear. And, and also it's a little bit like kind of like a civilized New Year's, if I should say it, because the first year I had it, I thought, oh, what are we going to do after we bring in the New Year at midnight with everybody on stage and in the room? What are we going to do for them after? So I planned this whole after party. And, you know, I do like meet and greets and everything too. But I planned this big after party and my tour manager was like, nobody's staying. They're all like, want to go home and go to bed because they've been doing their makeup since noon or something. <laughs> you know? true, right? And I was like, I kind that's of true. love that it's become a thing where people get ready and then they're just like, yep, great. I'm in bed by one because that's the LA way, isn't it? It's like we all want to get up and like not have a hangover. Yeah. <laughs> and, like feel fresh and go, you know, do our yoga class. You know, that's that's L.A. What are some of those other last bastions of that Hollywood glamour places like the Orpheum places uh, around town that still have that magic that you like to go to and immerse yourself in, soak some of that magic up again. Yeah. I mean, um, this house is definitely one oh, of them. thanks. Yeah. Really, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love like the Max Factor Museum. Oh, um, cool. Which, which is pretty great. It's like a Hollywood memorabilia yeah, museum I'm still, too. Yeah, we've been meaning to go there yeah, forever. Yeah, it's pretty been great. I like the Peterson Auto Museum. Cool. cool. Yes. You have to mention like Chateau Marmont because it has some Hollywood magic. As much as people might hate on it, you can't deny that there's some magic that's happened there and some like I've even been privy to some of the parties there where I've been like this is a moment in history right here <laughs> you know have you yeah. ever been to the Cecil Hotel no tell me oh that's the, now going into the true crime realm again sorry oh. I'm bring it up. <laughs> no it's yeah. good it's good to bring up because yeah Dita would be fascinated with that stuff I've never even heard of it oh my DeLeo you oh geez it's the uh, hotel downtown LA it's now since changed names but a few years ago it was a young girl who lost her life there. She oh, was yeah. found in the, in the water tower. In the I know that tank. story. Yes. Yeah, that's a crazy story. The history of that hotel goes even further back. Oh, to the 40s. And, you know, and Elizabeth Short stayed there at some point. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. this is, I don't know if it was like a few weeks before she died or something, you know, and then there were a couple of suicides there. Yeah, it became like the place to go if you're going to jump off the roof of a building. It became that place. Uh-huh. And I think Richard Ramirez stayed there as well when he was committing his acts. So they, the you know, they, they yeah. say there's some sort of vibe. Right. See, I never, when I was reading all, about all that they don't mention that i just thought oh it was a random like old flea bag motel is what i pictured in my head i didn't know that it was like it was an american horror story hotel which starred uh, lady gaga they based it on that hotel oh really they okay hotel cortez i think they called it but oh wow okay not creepy have you been to heritage square yeah i went there for like there was an edgar Allan poe oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that was cool yeah i was actually just like had that on my list of like i did a photo shoot today at the magic castle oh yeah nice. cool. nice. and heritage Square was on my list of like, oh, I should wear these are the places I'd like to do photo shoots. Oh, I love the Queen Mary. Yes. Oh, yes. And Catalina Island. Nice. nice. That's yeah. like one of my favorite like weird places to go because it is like kind of the Queen Mary has that like feels like you're still it's not been overly restored. It has that grit of the past in it still, which is what I love. There's a couple restaurants too. I mean, the Smokehouse, there's mm-hmm. Tam O'Shanter. A Tam O'Shanter is a 
like my favorite. It's so I good. mean, I'm obsessed. I actually went there and I was like, um, you guys, I need to have a word with you about your beautiful patio that you just redid. Oh, they redid <laughs> I mean, the patio? Well, they redid the patio and it's amazing. But do you think that they could have put plaid cushions on they put stripes no and i was like you guys who who approved this right you're called the tamo shanter there's plaid everywhere you have plaids on your wall and you nobody could find outdoor fabric to go right right. so i swear one of these days i'm going to start a petition and go deliver it to them they know me well there because i'm always there i take a lot of my meetings there actually you know what i did is i have i have a pool house that i recently redid and i'm trying to i'm copying the tamo shanter no I got it and now it's like an English pub next to my pool and it's basically the Tam O'Shanter. So every time That's I go to the Tam O'Shanter now I'm looking around like clocking. I'm looking for some swords right now to put on the wall. Oh, so it's awesome. and people started sending me Toby jugs on, on tour <laughs> because I, I have all these like Toby jugs. Nice. But it's like my favorite new project that I'm trying to fill up is like just put make it like a craziest. That's what's great about a pub is like I can go flea marketing all day long and buy like cheap things that like are pub like and throw them in there and it's yeah. like that's what i love it's just like having a place to go put my treasures you know that's so fun yeah and then walt disney has a little booth there right the booth with walt disney's name on it at tim o'shanter yeah and yeah. now is the time to go i mean christmas the oh, christmas carolers it's the best like, and you have to make a reservation pretty far in advance but oh actually i gotta remember to do that but it's great yeah and i just love to go sit there in the um i love to sit in the bar actually yeah this is the best yeah. place in the and world. Uh, clifton's i like too oh yeah yeah i think it's cool is it opening again did they open it up and then they shut it down and it's open again yeah i believe okay. i mean i just saw a huge line out there i think so. oh wow i love that all those places it's have you great. been to brookledge have you been to the yeah, brookledge lots theater? of times that yeah. place is awesome it another is. one of those places i go places there for the that... show all the time i oh, love that show God, so i see the most amazing performers there and it's always a who's who in the room brookledge is a private members club it's showbiz for showbiz for people that don't know it's there like you, you have to know somebody to get in but it's a little it was a house with a magic shop in it and it's owned by the Larson family who owns Magic Castle. And so they put on shows on occasional Sundays and people that are working out a magic trick or whatever. But I always see like, you know, Conan O'Brien and Paul Rubin. It's always like showbiz people there who just want to see a show on a Sunday evening. I love it. Part of the magic of Hollywood. Thank you so much for joining us. This we'll see everybody New Year's Eve yes. at Dita's New yeah, Year's Gala in LA. Yes. I'm doing something really special this year. Oh, oh yeah. I don't want to ruin it because I just don't want to ruin the surprise but I'm really excited about it. But just so you know, there's going to be an added something something Ooh. that I've never done before that is not necessarily striptease but I think you're going to like it. Oh cool. Awesome. That's amazing. And then of course the Glaminatrix tour and for tickets in it all you need Dita.net is where to go awesome the Glaminatrix tour will come to the US actually like next summer oh awesome just waiting on the date so I can do that antique shopping in the US where that's good (laughs) (laughs) that was a Boo Crew podcast episode 83 special thanks to our guest Dita Von Tees follow her at Dita Von Tees on Instagram and Twitter be sure to check out her Glaminatrix tour all over the world from now into 2020 And if you're in the L.A. area or can get to the L.A. area and are listening to this at time of release, do not miss Dina Von T's New Year's Eve at the historic Orpheum Theater, December 31st. Tickets at Dina.net. Music featured in this episode from Monarchy featuring Dina Von T's and Sebastian Tellier and Dina Von T's. Production tracks from Powerman 5000 and Nehi Fox. Till next time, it's the Boo Crew saying, see you on the other side. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at TalesFromTheBoo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the bloody disgusting podcast network. Bye. A bloody disgusting podcast network. Home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews. SCP archives. Weekly full cast storytelling. Horror queers. Genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective. And creepy. For disturbing and terrifying creepypastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.